The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are again thrilled you're with us. And if you thought we couldn't talk about cars, I had to take <laughs> a breath there for a moment. This, I'm afraid, is going to be way up there because we got so many questions. We've asked for questions on all yeah. three of the outlets here, Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Facebook, and well done. Tons There's, of them. Tons of them. I'm yeah. hoping to get to some good ones here because I am so impressed with the amount of critical thinking going on. That's what I'm starting to see in these <laughs> questions from everyone. There's critical thinking in everybody's, you know, story here, and uh, there's some great stuff here. As well as the car debates, we've got a big guy, Nate, Nate C. Mm-hmm. in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> He's six foot six. Yep. Oh my gosh. This this limits your options. I mean, we're 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 <laughs> already too big for most fun cars at six three. We're right on the borderline. Once you're six six, the problems occur. That is certainly a, certainly an issue for sure. Yeah. Nate, the funniest thing on your list here was when you said you drove a Lotus Elise with a track uh, with a cage. With a cage. And you said you needed help from two people to get out of it. Okay, so Nate's big, everyone. He's a big guy. I love guy. that. I love that. I mean, there is there is a right and wrong way into a Lotus, but clearly, once you're 6'6", six, six, there is no right way. It's just, it, so we're done. I'm sorry. I, I can't do it. Too oh big. Gosh. Not happening. But we're going to find something for Nate. He actually has, he owns a 2015 Chevy SS. So, you know, I'm already excited. Yes, So uh, he does. we're going to talk about that for sure. Before we do that, though, you and I, as we think TV, have stopped for about an hour each and watched the latest car TV show, and that is the resurgence of British Top Gear. Yes. So it, it yes. premiered about a week ago in the U.K., it it just started playing on BBC America and also on Amazon. We watched on Amazon uh, this past weekend. If you have not seen it, I am going to say spoiler alert. We're going to talk about it, not in a ton of detail, but we are going to reveal some things because we're just we're always trying to take in. I'm certainly always trying to take in lots of content, see what other people are doing. And I was curious because I feel like I don't know about your thoughts, Paul, but I am. I was so excited about this threesome lineup to lead this show this year because these were the three guys I liked last year. And I kept going, where is the show with Chris Harris, Matt LeBlanc, and Rory Reed? Where is that show? That's this season. Yeah. Which got me really excited before I even watched a frame. I'm excited too. And although Todd said spoiler alert, maybe you'd like to hear our commentary and then go watch it for yourself. I mean, maybe that might help you apply more thinking about you know, what we're thinking about when we're watching it. Maybe, maybe not. Fresh take is always good, but I was excited mm-hmm. too. And I'm thinking about these three guys, They're our, our yeah. heroes yeah. for Top Gear now. And I don't think if this show had existed or they had been hosts of it, they might have never known each other, but they're, they just seem like best buds now. They seem like genuinely yeah. friends and would hang out regardless of the show at this point. I kind of get that vibe, and they made it very easy to be together. Mm-hmm, None mm-hmm. of them seemed like they were trying very hard, and they were enjoying yeah. themselves. And the overarching thought that I'm coming away with is, uh, I, I won't say it's depressing, and it's not related to Top Gear here, but it's it's related to cars in general. And as you know, I've talked mm, about mm. how buried in tech and autonomy and the conversations with manufacturers that I'm I'm buried in, and yeah, yeah. here are guys just enjoying driving. By the way, everybody, yep. driving is fun, yep. 
which is the cornerstone <laughs> of what you and I do. In case you haven't heard. Yeah, no kidding. And I think, all right, are we going to a place where manufacturers will simultaneously build the world's most exotic, technologically advanced autonomous cars mm. and the most simple, stripped-down, bare-bones chassis they can possibly make? And mm. which one is going to sell more? Because yeah. as we hurdle towards this, and you think mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. Paul keeps talking about this. I keep blabbing on about this stuff. It's coming. <laughs> It's yeah, every it car company, that's all I can focus on. And although we haven't really figured it out, the address to address, do nothing, don't touch the wheel kind of autonomy yet, these smart people are going to figure it out, and it's going to be coming soon. Well, and then there's but, but us merry band of enthusiasts over here going. Yeah, but, but to eh. that point, I think one of the reasons, not only because you're, you're finding yourself kind of forced to be immersed in it, but also if you think about it, I, I think that in general – most of the automakers, they just know how to make cars, normal cars yes. as they just yes. know how to make them. They can make minor little tweaks, but the real R&D skunk work stuff is all being applied to a combination of alternate propulsion systems and autonomy, which is why that part is moving so hard because it's almost like, and it isn't, but it's almost like they're just on cruise mode with making the rest of their cars. Advancements are still being made, don't get me wrong, but, but they, they are refining something that is a known commodity. So yeah. they can apply yeah, most sure. of their R&D and let's push the envelope to just these new eras. And that's why it, it feels like it's moving so pl fast. Plus, it's all ones and zeros. And we, as we all know, that, that moves exponentially anyway. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's a very interesting animal. But you're right. Here was this show in Top Gear UK that just was about driving for fun and guys hanging out and driving for fun. And it was interesting because last year, I don't know if you remember this, but it seemed like Matt LeBlanc was awkward and a little uh, on edge in the studio sections. He wasn't really working well. And yeah. I kept wondering if that was the rapport with, with Chris Evans. He seemed calm and easygoing as can be in these studio sections Completely this time. Completely agree. The only person I felt like was struggling at all in the studio sections was Chris Harris, only because we've all gotten so used to watching him in the car where he's really, really light and easy. The studio section stuff is hard. You're reading a teleprompter. It's got a different vibe. You're there with a live audience. That is a very mm -hmm. right. different situation. And I and just because I've watched him so much, I could sense that he was a little tense. But okay, fine. I mean, and, and I mean like you know five percent tense. Okay. Okay. But sure, sure. The the you know the biggest thing that that struck me while watching this. I mean, they do they they open smartly with Chris Harris drifts a Ferrari. No one gets to drive. That's of a pretty course. good start. So they start <laughs> there. But, but the thing that really struck me when they took a big – they took a road trip to Kazakhstan, which honestly I felt was a very odd choice, but it was interesting. But the thing about their whole three-car road trip in the traditional fashion that we kind of are used to on Top Gear that shocked me is in this episode was an element of the unknown and surprise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just felt like that – and when that happened, when, when, there's, there's a few things that happen that you don't see coming. And when they happened, I was struck by this is what Grand Tour is now missing. Mm. It, it, Grand uh, Tour, give us you know, a specific they, a surprise that really stuck out to you. Sure. Well, there, there's a moment where Chris Harris nearly destroys his car very early on in the challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly not a scripted thing. It, it just happened. The pieces came together, and then those guys kind of have to roll with it in banter. But it's not something that was planned. You can tell that, and it, and it surprises you as an audience member. 
and then you're not sure how the challenge is going to end up. Now, yeah. while it certainly has scripted elements, the thing about Grand Tour and those guys is I feel like subconsciously, if you've watched a lot of it, you kind of know what's coming next. Yeah. And it's like yeah. it's like being at home. You're comfortable. You like it. It's all everything as expected. But there's there's none of that anticipation for what's going to happen. You kind of know. Mm-hmm. And this didn't have that I kind of know. And that made it a little more exciting, I felt like. Well, you're touching on this, and and it's turned into a pattern, not a formula. Top Gear had a formula, especially with the prior three hosts, with uh, you know, with those guys. Yes, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. worked. But notice these three guys, Chris, Matt, Rory, they've made it their own. Now, yeah. I've noticed the editing style has backed way off. It's calmer. It's not frantic. It's not in your sure. face. Sure. It's just the camera. Oh, I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like we're back to just purity. Simple is good, Interesting. but, but purity Interesting, yeah. of driving the cars. We're just looking at the beautiful cars and driving the beautiful cars. That's mm-hmm. what the trailer, the season trailer, has said to me. We're just back to the enthusiasm and the purity of cars. Mm-hmm. And I felt mm-hmm. like that okay. has gone missing from Grand Tour because it's this grandiose thing, of course. And... I feel like the editing style has backed off. The hosts have made it their own show. The celebrity guest now joins them just to hang out. They don't yeah, have that's to interesting, read a script. They don't have to get through this, this, and this about them. And they don't have to plug their latest project, which was refreshing. Mm. They're sure. just host. They're just celebrity. And they drove the car. And the new car, yeah. by the way, is yeah. yours, the new GT86, which yeah, I, I know, love. Yeah, funny. Because now it's adding an element of not just inexpensive car trying to get a good lap time. It's now a genuine enthusiast car that mm-hmm. isn't Agreed. so far Agreed. over the top, but the dynamics are fun. I just I yeah. feel like the yeah, fun yeah. is back, and I'm enjoying watching these guys more than the Grand Tour. It sounds like sacrilege, but yeah. the Grand Tour I just felt with Blue Sky they could have done something, but then it's just gone off into the you know the drone crashes. James says, "Are they coming on the show?" Then you know just the formula. Well, just the, come yeah, there on. you are. You're touching on it in in one. In one season of the Grand Tour, by a third of the way in, didn't all of us watching it kind of know what was going to happen next? (laughs) Knew what the line was going to be? Knew what the gag was going to be? This is what I'm saying. That was the interesting thing about watching this new iteration of Top Gear UK is I found myself able to be surprised and not ahead of what was going to happen next. Now, obviously, it was first episode. They've changed the guest format. They've changed the look of the studio. Obviously, we will know that stuff going in next episode. So sure, I'm sure there will be some trends that will happen. But two, maybe three episodes into Grand Tour, we all kind of got the joke. Right. And then right. they kept doing the joke for the rest of the season. I was very pleased with how you're saying there is still the Top Gear pattern here. There's a Top Gear approach. And yet it seemed fun and it seemed unexpected. And that got me excited. Genuinely. Yeah. And and the jokes, they're not clubbing us over the head. Matt's just sliding Mm. little things in here. I was so pleased with the way things wrapped up. I liked the creativity of of the um, spaceport that they went to, you know, the the launch pad that they went to. And just, you know, they were genuinely thinking, man, what what an amazing thing. They were very easygoing. And then just a little bit of levity. You don't have to club us over the head with a joke. Just, (laughs) Just a little bit. And it worked. And I just... I felt like 
the passion and purity of driving cars has returned with these guys. Maybe it required this fresh start, but I'm back to liking Top Gear better than Grand Tour. I Interesting. can't believe it. I'm very curious to see. I mean, you know, I'm at the, of the place where talk to me three episodes in. You know, how is sure. this, How does it play over time? Maybe it's early. But I'm glad but, to see these know. guys have the freedom to run around in it. And I'm glad they have this platform. I, I'm thrilled that both Chris Harris and Rory Reed have this platform because yeah. they, they oh, more yeah. than deserve it. And they're both very talented guys. Absolutely. And then Matt LeBlanc is like, who expected this guy to be this fun? Now, you can see him go into his shtick. His, he's still Joey from Friends every now and then. A the way little bit. A line because he's comfortable. But that's the thing. He just feels comfortable doing it. And that, that's, that's engaging yeah. in its own way. It's likable, mm-hmm. though. We still like yeah, that. I agree. We still kind of – like him doing that every once in a while, and he doesn't overplay mm-hmm. his hand. Mm-hmm. He just yep. – he, he's such a seasoned actor now and such a mature adult yeah, true, now true. that he knows when when comedic timing is best and then doesn't overplay it. And it's yeah. – I'm thrilled with it. And yeah, maybe it's still early, but if the rest of the show is going to be this easygoing and just simply enjoyable to watch, we're not waiting for, okay, that's coming next. Yep, there it is. And you know, wow, that was a contrived segment or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think we'll all, yeah, I think we'll all enjoy it even more. So, um, I I do have to say, you and I, uh, as we go to TV on April first, will not be driving the Ferrari XXK or XXR or whatever it was. <laughs> no. We will not be in these cars. So if no. you want to, if you actually want to watch a show that is about cars that you could possibly afford, this is why we exist. Because the closest this new Top Gear is going to get is probably going to be, I mean, you can see, like you said, you can see the pattern. It's either going to be the GT86 that is, that the stars are driving, or it's going to be beater cars that you don't want to buy, or it's going to be hyper exotics. Mm-hmm. So this is the world we're in. If you would like a real car to talk about, that's what we're here for, both on the TV and also on the podcast. We should probably do some car debates as a result. Yeah, let's jump right in. We also have Peter G. He's a Navy man in Virginia Beach, which we will get to. He's given us a bunch of emails. And Peter, apologies for the delay. We are getting to you. We definitely want to confirm your thinking here. But uh, mm-hmm. we will just, first of all, start with the big man, Nate. I mean, Nate, it even gave us the stats here. His wife is six foot two, and he's four inches yep. taller. Holy moly! Yep. I'm wondering your what kids your will kids. be giants. Your kids <laughs> will be giants. You will be the oh people that can't buy a two plus two because your five year old is five feet tall. This will be the problem. So uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's stuck here's out. the thing. I didn't. So yeah, I, I will. I will say as a parent, I you know, and I, I have I have one child. I have a son. He's seven. I didn't have any idea if my son was tall or not until he got into kindergarten, first grade, and I suddenly realized, oh, you're like an inch or two taller than all of your peers. I didn't have any frame of reference, but suddenly went, oh, those are, those are kids your age. Hmm. He's a lot smaller than you. So, uh, yeah, Nate, you and your wife are going to have that at some point. But you have a currently have a 2015 Chevy SS. People have asked you if you'd ever sell it. Uh-oh. Because that's got you thinking, hmm, should I sell it? And you also have an ongoing project car, a 1970 BMW 2002 project. You said that's not going anywhere. That car stays. So your, your overarching question, even though this is one of those emails where my fingers hurt with scrolling. It was huge. <laughs> it was. It was huge, Nate. I, I guess. There are pie fitting, charts fitting, and graphs and it's, links to here. It's shocking. And... <laughs> it was almost hand-delivered by, like, a person to walk us through it. I mean, it was. it's quite an email. Uh, but... You did say if you sell the SS, you've got maybe as much as $75,000 to work with. But ultimately, the struggle here is 
You need a car for daily life, but you also need a car for real driving autocross fun. And if you haven't followed along at all, you're also quite tall. So many <laughs> things don't work. And you have listed out in great detail cars that don't work for different reasons. And you've even given us four options about selling or not selling. I, have, I think I have an answer on this, but wow, the detail here. Interesting. Well, he's given us some options here. We've said you can autocross anything, and clearly you have, even with sure. a full yeah. car in the Chevy SS. But yeah, Nate, it yeah. stuck out to me here because you're thinking about selling it. The 2002 is not going anywhere, so 75K. All right, so here's the options. If he gets rid of the SS, number one, he can get a new daily driver and a better weekend slash autocross car. Or number mm -hmm. two, he could get a single car, he could daily drive and autocross. Number three here is get a very nice daily driver and then just use this 2002 project car as the weekend slash autocross car. And then number four is kind of keep the autocross or keep the SS and uh, get mm -hmm. the new weekend car, mm -hmm. which it doesn't sound like the option you're leaning most towards. Interesting. And uh, here Nate is, uh, I think, deep into uh, fuel cell technology, which takes him traveling around the world. He visits JDM auto shops in Tokyo every year. He travels a yep. lot, and yep. uh, yeah, he's got a list of <laughs> cars he's driven. Oh my gosh, stuff that's not in the running. Oh my gosh, and cars all the he reasons wants to it's not here. in the running. This this was at one point Nate's email was clearly in spreadsheet form, and it has now been converted, which results in scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, but it is interesting to watch things that are not in the running because you just don't fit. Uh, descriptions <laughs> like so the 2016 Mazda MX-5, you've, you've had three before that that say don't fit, don't fit, but then you, that one really don't fit. That made me laugh. Um, and then the BRZ is in here. The problem is you, not that you don't fit. You just really don't like it. Okay, moving on. Um, C6 Grand Sport Corvette you don't fit in. Cayman is out because you don't fit. Z4 Coupe is out because you don't fit. I mean, there's so many usual su suspects being taken out at the knees by this. So, and actually, you'd have to be taken out at the knees, Nate, if you wanted to fit in most of these, including <laughs> that Lotus Elise with a cage, which is one of the funniest descriptions I've ever heard. Needed help from two people to get out. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> they see Nate coming, and they sell him a Lotus Elise with a can opener and say, you know, here you go. Yeah, exactly. Good luck getting exactly. yourself out of this. The top is permanently removed. We're going to drop you in via crane. <laughs> um, yeah. So oh I, have, I have two thoughts here for Nate because ultimately we're, he, he does say every now and then he takes clients around in his whatever car he is that he's commuting in. So I have two thoughts for you. One is for keeping the SS and the other is selling the SS. Um, but I'm very curious where you're landing on this as well. Well, I mean, we talk about the SS so much that selling it and thinking of selling it is a horrific thought, <laughs> but maybe not. And maybe there's something in here that is in keeping with the themes of everything, the theme you've established with BMW ownership already, and the fact that even though you like it, would you sell it? Okay, maybe something a little bit more compact that you can fit in. That's a fine line that we're walking here. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. SS is an obvious choice for large folks. And yeah. so that's probably what we would have recommended had you not already owned one. But mm -hmm. now you're just thinking something that will kind of do it all. The SS, like we said, you can autocross anything. The lap times will, you know, reveal themselves and what kind of car Very that wildly. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're saying options one and three. So one and 
just a reminder here, number one is get the new daily driver and a better weekend autocross car that's spending money on two cars. Or number mm-hmm, three, just mm-hmm. a really nice daily driver and go ahead and continue to use the 2002 as the fun car, which is the option I'm leaning towards, Nate. I thought, okay. yeah, get yourself something really amazing that you're just – you're going to love. And mm, keep that mm. O2, that the 2002 weekend autocross car as – just the project car, that's something to look forward to. You'll always own that. And so you've mentioned one, but I'm going to start with one you haven't. And get yourself okay. a brand new F80 BMW M3. Brand, mm, brand new, that's 75K. A that's a good one. You can order it however you like. They might already have built it, but they're roomy enough. Keep in mind, the M3 has grown over the years to be able to yeah, slot it's, it's more M5 models now. underneath. Yeah. yeah, You know, so that's... What BMW is the king of doing is enlarging their cars slightly so they can fit more models you didn't know was a market yep. segment. That's what they've Are done with the Are we going to have a BMW 0.5 at some point? Are they going to do that? I mean, why not? we're headed there. You know, it, it's it's going to be, be the BMW half. Anyway, well, yeah, see, go on. Like two and a half people or just like three people in your Boston Terrier? It'll be their electric single-seater, the BMW oh. half series. There you go. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And that, that could be cool. So I'm thinking, I'm looking at images of this this car. If you haven't seen our Icon film, we drove it extensively. Loved it. I love this car. I mean, just brand new, all the tech, fast. You can daily this, and it fits into the category that I'm choosing for you. But you can autocross this too, and it's going to be incredible to drive. You can track the daylights out of it. It's it's such a foregone conclusion in my mind. Mm, mm. I just think yeah. you've loved a lot of stuff on here, the GT350 with the track pack, the E63 AMG wagon. Of course, you love the wagon, of course. But I still yeah. think you can fit in the, the new M3 and and make it work. The other thought here is because you're in tech, you're in the tech world, I do think you'd appreciate a, a Tesla Model S. I really do. And, mm. of mm, course, yeah. flat floor, you know, wide seats, wide open space in that car, I think you'll easily fit. And very different, very different, but just you still have the 2002, so I'm not worried. And uh, yeah. I think those are the two that I'm standing on for your consideration. So that's that's where I'm at. On a, on a brief side note, the image of the fact, I don't know how many of you listening have ever really walked around a 2002, <laughs> but I think it's fascinating to ponder all of the cars that are on Nate's list that are out because he can't fit, or in some cases can fit but can't fit with a helmet, which obviously is an autocross consideration. Right. And yet, this 2002, he can fit in and fit in well enough to fit in with a helmet so it could be his autocross car. Well, I mean, that's like a magician's trick, isn't it? I mean, that's that's impressive. That is impressive. The windows genuinely. are just as tall as the doors on a 2002. They're like equal You're right. proportions. They are. You know, it's like a fishbowl. So yeah, funny. we're we're actually hoping to get one on camera later this summer. We had one that we tried to get on a couple summers ago, and it has been plagued with problems. But it is running now. We know the owner; he's very excited to get it on camera. Hopefully, that'll be one of our summer fast blasts. We're looking forward to that. Actually, finally, kind of cover that car because we've driven it, but not uh, properly for you guys. So we want to do that. Um, okay, Nate, uh, this this is difficult <laughs> because of the number of things you've listed and then taken out of consideration. But scroll, I want to come back scroll, to something. <laughs> Seriously, I want to come back to something about the Chevy SS, of course, that's very interesting. You talked about how much fun this car has been. You talked about you put snow tires on it and liked it even more. 
you've driven a lot of people around in it. You've autocrossed with four people in it. I actually wonder, Nate, if the only reason you're thinking of selling it is because you have the itch for a new car. And I'm wondering if the SS, my, my preference for you is actually that the SS stays and solve your new car problem with something else, spend your 40, 45K, getting something that you can love as an autocross vehicle. So your 2002 doesn't have to be beat on that way. It can just be your project car. It's done whenever. It runs whenever you want. It doesn't have to get beat on. Go get yourself a car that is just weekend hard driving and possible autocross. Leave the SS for all the stuff it's good at. It, it, I feel like it's good sure. at everything sure. that you're talking yeah. about. It is. It's it is. just because you've got the disease like we do, I feel like there's a misguided thing here. Where because you've got the disease, you're like, well, the SS must go. And I'm sitting here going, well, no, just go. If you want to go get something else, go get something else to solve that need. The SS seems to be doing fine in its role. I think that's a real consideration. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that is my preference for you. But I also have a variation here where you do sell the SS. Um, I have a real question for you because my preference for you, and I'm actually going to save you money, my preference for you on an autocross car and a weekend fun car is the Honda S2000. Now, Will he fit, though? I, well, that's, that's the question. I don't know because here's the thing about the S2000. The last time I was in one was Edgar. Edgar, who's our, our shooter who lives in Los Angeles, he has a gorgeous 2006. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic example. There is significantly less room in the passenger side than the driver's seat of that car. And when I sit in the passenger side, I kind of feel like this car feels a little bit small. But every time I've driven one, it doesn't. So okay. they, they, did a, they did a great job on the space of, in that car for the driver. Now, I don't know. What's your torso? What's your legs? I, I can't speak to that. But you haven't mentioned the, 2000, the S2000 at all. And if you're going to autocross it, use it as a fun car, it's a convertible. You could drop the top, and now headroom's not an issue, even with a helmet. The last time I was at an autocross, the guy that was killing everybody was in an S2000 with the top down. Mm. Helmet sticking out of the roof, and off he was killing everyone. You could get a gorgeous one for fifteen to twenty grand, a spectacular one for twenty five. You saved yourself money. Put the rest into tires. Go wipe the floor with your autocross group. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I think you need to drive it because it's. I, I feel like it's conspicuously absent on this list. Maybe it's out, but I I have always found that car to have better room for me than Miatas. So I'm just putting that out there for you and yeah. saying go drive it. Um, and because it's convertible, then you, you get yourself extra room as a result. So I think keep the SS and get an S2000 is my kind of my preference for you. Hmm. However, I mean, the windscreen is more upright on that S2000. It is. Yeah. But so. if you're autocrossing or doing a fun drive and the, and the very top of your head or the very top of your helmet sticking out, what do you care you know, it, it, it's a convertible. What do you <laughs> it care? It might be more than it's the top of his head, though. It Who might knows? be his eyeballs. That's the thing. <laughs> we don't know. And, and, I, and I will also admit, Nate, you can, you can search any forum on the planet and find the tall man mods for most cars. But, you know, and I'm sure they exist for the S2000. Cut a hole in the roof and the floor, maybe. <laughs> the tall man mods. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think there may be a way around that. So I think that's a real consideration car. If you sell the SS, though, and you brought it up in passing, if you sell the SS, you have to take a serious look at the CTSV wagon. Yeah, that's on here on his list. Did you notice far, far on yeah. the list here? Yeah, it, 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 I feel like it's almost mentioned in passing, and I don't think it's an in-passing car. I think that's a take-a-serious-look car. Hmm. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. 
Uh, that would be, yeah, sell the SS, and that'd be mm-hmm. the only car. Get the CTS wagon. I don't know that that would be the only car. My problem is I wind up almost back at S2000 again for look for the fun car. I mean, the autocross thing keeps sticking out to me, and the fact that you're worried about a helmet, and I go, convertible. So I, I, yeah. that's why that, that S2000 sticks in my head so much. Um, I mean, there are other options here. You know, you you mentioned in passing the BMW 135. That has surprising amount of headroom. In fact, I've always felt like the one series problem was it was a little too tall. But that could be to your benefit in this equation. I've, I'm so thinking like I, Nate needs some sort of like car he can spray on around him. You know, he can just sit down and sort of yeah, car yeah. in a rattle can. He can just spray on, you know, like spray on <laughs> jeans or I need spray on hair or something like that. Just, Frightening. <laughs> you know, a car he can just the sort new, of paint on around him and then go drive. The new aerosol car. That's that's frightening. I'm going to be um, yeah. a jillionaire. I'm going to be a trillionaire. Aerosol car. You just shake it a little bit and, you know, you go shopping in the, I don't know, the paint aisle at your favorite big box <laughs> store. And you think, do I want a wagon? Do I want a sports car? You know, the cans for the pickup trucks are a little bit bigger. You know, they give you 30% extra there. So frightening. Just frightening. I, I hope I hope we're helping here, Nate. I mean, the real problem here is you've listed so many things that your height takes out of the equation, which makes it hard to guesstimate the things that aren't on the list. But I but I start to get a little, I hate to say it, concerned that nothing's going to work like it should with the helmet on. The helmet's a problem. I mean, you mentioned in, mentioned in here you got in a Camaro and you liked it, but couldn't fit in it with a helmet. I will guarantee you you couldn't fit in a helmet because when I wear a helmet in the Chevy <laughs> in the Chevy Camaro, I have to put my head on my shoulder, my, like my cheek on my shoulder. I have to drive in the world's most uncomfortable driving position, and I'm shorter than you. So, yeah, that's there, there's a lot of cars that are fully out. Man. Well, yeah, I hope that helps. Uh, keep us updated because mm-hmm. this, is, this is a different thing. I think uh, – I think you're the tallest guy so far that we've considered here, Nate. I think he's, there's been a couple other 6'6", six, six, but, but the problem with Nate is that he's looking for a small, yeah. chuckable car. That's the problem. We've, we've done guys that are tall before, but they're not looking for that. That's where this gets hard. And I will keep laughing at the image of you trying to get out of a Lotus Elise with a cage in it. That's just that's, that's the laugh of the night right there. That's perfect. Well, we'll jump to the second car debate for Peter G. in Virginia Beach. He's a Navy man, and... Uh, I was just recently driving to San Diego and just north of uh, San Diego is Camp Pendleton. And there's also that Navy base right there where they've got the hovercrafts coming in and out. So cool. Anyway, so, yeah, Peter, thanks for your service, and uh, we're excited to debate for you. He is getting Mm -hmm. a car two years shy of his 50th birthday, so this has got to be a treat, all right? Yep, So he's got a big budget as well. He's talking about... 55 or under, knowing I will immediately blow that up to 65, a proper figure with which to work. <laughs> I love that he goes, I can spend 50. Okay, Paul's talking. I can spend 65. <laughs> I, I, I think it's hysterical that there's this complete reset of his finances because he knows who he's talking to. That makes exactly. me laugh. I think people are sort of scared to write in now because, uh, what's my budget? Okay, i got to reduce that by 10 grand because I know Paul's going to get a hold of it. Sheesh. <laughs> Go up ten grand for no apparent reason because you'll find the money. The car's gonna be awesome. Yeah, keep going. Exactly. All right. So he he was wanting the fun commuter car, fun slash commuter, for a forty mile round trip. What he does in Virginia Beach. He's got a BMW X5 that he currently leases for mm-hmm. the son who with all the hockey gear. So he's a goalie, 
And, uh, yeah, he's got goalie stuff and pads and all that kind of stuff. So he's probably filling yes. the back of the car with that. For but sure. But he's looking at being way over the mileage if he keeps using it for commuting and hogging and all this stuff. So he's convinced the wife. Is it she who, mu- <laughs> she who must be obeyed, right? Is that it? <laughs> or at least she who must be kept happy. Let's be yes. honest. You've heard the whole happy no, wife, happy happy life thing. This is a reality. <laughs> so it's not, not necessarily about obeyed as much as it is just – is your wife happy? Because when that happens, I, I promise you, the amount of stress taken out of the situation is shocking. So, yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, distant explosion that you just heard, Pete, is your bank account blowing up to a proper $65,000. <laughs> <laughs> Kaboom. And uh, so we, we're thinking something that is not too much in the heavy maintenance, but he's not opposed to it if it's the right car mm-hmm. for him. So something yeah. elegant, interior appropriate for the age, uh, you know, so tech, all that kind of stuff. Not necessarily looking for pure driving, just reading your email here, you know, like a Golf R doesn't have to be just a pure, hardcore, focused driving car. And he's yeah. lo- he's looking like he's driven quite a few things. He's driven the new Miata RF. Yes. Yes. Giggling, we've got to get into that. The Fiat 124, Audi TT. Mm-hmm. M3 convertibles and the 2 Series, both the 235i and 240i convertibles. But he's definitely looking for convertibles, so keep that in mind as we're shopping yeah, here for yeah. Pete. Driving the Porsche 718 Boxster, Jag F-Type, and what else? He's liking the Miata RF. And then recently he wrote mm-hmm. back, and that's sort of at the bottom here uh, of this mm-hmm. initial email here. He's looking at M2s, the Jag F-Type, and now he's driven the F-Type. Hmm. There's a lot of choices I mean, the, the here, big, but he's looking for what he's a lot missed, of stuff. You know, that kind of the thing. Big thing. The big thing that comes through here for sure is that you want something that feels like a special event car. And that's where the whole convertible thing comes in. So, so unlike Nate, who we just talked about, this is not an autocross car. It's not going to be tracked. It's not what it's about. It's about enjoying it and feeling like I have something special. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's a key thing, and the convertible is a key thing. I want to get you into something that you obviously enjoy, the look of, the feel of, but it's not about, you know, what is the most hardcore thing. What is the thing you can enjoy? And because you've had an X5, you've had other BMWs, you're, you're just, you're feeling like, well, you don't know if you want a BMW again. You want something else. You want something a little bit unique. So that plays in here as well. I came up with a couple. I I like that he likes the F-Type so much. Oh, so, you know what? Side note. I'm disappointed by the fact that you are 5'9 and feel like the Mazda Miata RF is cramped. I feel like it's cramped too, but I can't believe you feel like it's cramped when I've got six inches on you. Uh, Nate's clearly, that is not neck. for Nate. You're cramped, yeah, yeah. and he's fine. That will, be, that will be the comedy <laughs> video that comes out of this piece is we'll try to get Nate in an RF just – just to to center the world, we'll just send us his chiropractic bills too. I'm sure. Exactly, exactly right. But um, so there are some interesting choices here. I actually came up with uh, with four that he hasn't brought up here, and I'm kind of curious as to why. Uh. But I but I also want to know what uh, what struck you here. Well, I Pete, if you've listened to the podcasts a lot, which you indicate that you have, you've heard Todd and I recommend the Aston Martin Vantage up one side and down mm-hmm. the other. Yeah. And special, the fact that this is the just prior to the 50th birthday, yep. preferably a manual, got to be a convertible, got to be special. If you think the Jag F-Type sounds good, you're going to melt mm. into a puddle when you hear that Aston Martin. <laughs> so I went shopping. 
I thought, what, what's possible? And I'm thinking maintenance is on my mind, but most yeah, of the cars yeah. for sale at 60 to 65 have between five and 15,000 miles on them. Practically really? brand new. Really? Then I found one at a lower cost. It was probably mid 50s, somewhere in there. It had 49,000, almost 50,000 miles on it. I'm thinking, well, okay. well, that's great news. There, that's proving it out. This person is driving it. You know, change mm-hmm. the oil, mm-hmm. keep it maintained, and he's got fifty thousand miles. So if you buy one, Pete, with say ten thousand miles, how many years is it going to take you to pile on another forty thousand? Another sure. three to four years? Yeah. Maybe yeah, by that yeah, time yeah. you will have sure. enjoyed it. Time to move on, and you've been right in the sweet spot of the newness of that car, but it has depreciated yeah. so much you can get into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking Aston, and then Todd actually has recommended this before, Alpha 4C. Also in the sweet mm. spot, also yeah. convertible, also yeah, unique. Yeah, the Spider is the way to go on that car yeah. for sure. Very, very special. I mean, you want people to just you know break their necks looking at you driving by Alpha 4C. So I hadn't thought of it, and yet I think that's practically a sniper <laughs> shot. That's a great one here. I it's, really like it. Keep going. Maybe it's out there. I mean, they're 65. I'm going to spend all of your money and then some when you yeah. tax title and license yeah. the thing. But sure. I'm just saying, 50th birthday, come on. I, happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Do you want Todd and I to sing you happy birthday right now? I'm, no. Should we? No, he doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. He doesn't. That that will hurt everyone listening and ourselves. I mean, the the, the the sentiment is there, but we're not going to sing. Yeah, that's all bad. All right, fine. But you know what I mean. We're, we're thrilled mm-hmm. for you that you can be in this and even thinking about something like this. So I'm kind of encouraging you to go, you know, like a little tiny bit nuts. Not completely overboard, but just, you know, yeah. a little bit. So that's where There's I'm There's an at. exotic specialness there. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Well, yeah. I... I do want to mention here, look, he likes the F-Type. And, Peter, I, I'm not going to guide you away from the F-Type. The F-Type convertible, the F-Type in general is a genuinely special car. It is a fun car to drive. It looks fantastic. It's dynamically well set up. I think if that's the car you're leaning toward, I would back your play on that. I think it's a great one. You mentioned that uh, you liked the Boxster just as a car to drive. You like the 718 the most. But your budget only gets you in the base one, and you would, if you're going to do that, you'd rather have the S. So that kind of makes me go, okay. F-Type, used, tons of options, good car. In fact, they've actually come down quite a bit used already. So I think that is a real option. Uh, I actually also was going to say the Vantage because he's thinking F-Type. I think it's interesting that both you and I went, okay, but if you look at the F-Type, look at the Vantage. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to keep a little bit of money aside because, you know, there will be maintenance on that car and the maintenance won't be cheap. But this is also not your commute car. It's not your car you drive every day and put a ton of miles on. Right. So, okay, it's not going to get beat on. So I think the Vantage does need to be in, in consideration. I have three others that just aren't mentioned, and I'm just, I want to put them out there. I know what you're thinking. You probably don't want to be a cliche, but what about the Corvette C7? I mean, that is a fantastic car to drive. Okay. That huge. Okay. And you don't even have to go traditional convertible. I would say get the coupe because that entire roof panel lifts off. You get all the benefits of, con- of a convertible. It's an amazing car to drive. It is. It is yeah. a special car. I know that we have teased the Corvette uh, cliche of the old guy driving it slow because, unfortunately, that cliche exists. The C7 rises above that cliche in a fantastic way. I think the C7 has got to be driven and experienced to have a consideration about, should I get this? Is this in the running? 
So I definitely would have put that out there for you. You didn't mention the 911. You mentioned the Boxster, but I looked it up. You can get 991 911s, like 2013s, for your budget. The the Cabriolets are out there, man. 6065, you get a 991 Cabriolet, which means you could also get a 997, which is also great. Holy moly. We drove that 991 Cabrio, and it's... It's spectacular. It really is. It's a convertible <laughs> that does it does all the stuff you're wanting as far as interior considerations. I mean, you said you drove an Audi TT, and the thing you liked about it the most was the interior and the tech, but you didn't feel like it felt very special. Well, the interior in the 991 is great. It's a surprisingly roomy car. It's a surprisingly usable car. And yet, I think the specialness is there, too. Of course, you're, that would be the non-turbo version, so the last of the flat sixes in there that aren't turbo those are in your budget. So I think I, I, I would say don't worry about the 718. If you're thinking Porsche and you're, and you're on the fence about it, if you're thinking Porsche, I think look at the 991. And then I have a wild card. Ooh, okay. All right. I just thought he wants special. He wants unique. He wants decent interior. He wants a car that feels like an event. And I just thought, wait a minute. I'm going to go used. I'm going to go wild card. But Acura NSX. Oh, I mean, come on. You would just, that's a car, that is one of those perfectly timeless designs. It is a special car. When we drove it, we drove two versions of the original uh, NSX. If you get before, I might get this a little bit wrong, get before 95, you're in a five-speed, you get 96 and up, you're in a six-speed. We drove both versions. There's a slight engine change in the middle. It jumps up a little bit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That car is gen- feels genuinely special. It doesn't feel like some <laughs> rock star that's going to beat everything out there. But I think I think you'd be surprised by how special that car feels, and you've got the budget for it. So you that is my wild card. You could commute with that. You could easy. Oh, that car's just th- this is this is the opposite. This is the opposite of the used Aston Martin Vantage. Because yeah, you can get yeah. the removable the removable roof in the NSX, so you get kind of the convertible feel again. It, it solves that problem without being a convertible. It's genuinely special. You want something special? Nobody else around you is going to have an NSX. No. And you can drive it hard, and yeah. it feels great. Or you could just drive it like a Honda Accord, and guess what? It'll run like a Honda Accord. So that's, that's my huge. wild card, but I like it a lot. That's huge. Yeah, the NSXT, the the target top, most of them came that way. I'm super liking that a lot. Yeah, that that was the beauty and the strength of the NSX because you could just mm-hmm. drive it and not get into the high rev range and yeah. Yeah. it was so reliable and then yeah, you really get after it and it does turn into something sweet. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And that's a car, that's a car like honestly like the 4C. I mean, these are almost my favorites, the 4C and the NSX. I feel like both of those cars, you feel like you're having the time of your life at seven tenths. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I would, I would personally rather push an NSX to the limits than than a four C. The four C's got a little bit of a gotcha uh, <laughs> demeanor about it, which yeah. is not what I want on a back road. But, um, but the, <laughs> gotcha. the NSX ah! is just exactly the NSX <laughs> is fantastically balanced. But, yeah. um, but the thing is. Both of those cars, when you're driving them, what feels quick, but not anything that's stressing you out, it's just fun. They just they they pull that off beautifully. So I think those are really good considerations here. Although you know, if you really want to spend money, just add another five thousand dollars, spend seventy, Stop. and you can get a two thousand eight nine nine seven nine eleven turbo. 
yes, huh? Yes, but more money I mean, equals more better, right? Let's just spend more yeah. money. Yeah, if you have more money, but I mean, come on, I, the, the rest of us don't. All right, sorry, my, I just had to. My my bit. twenty thousand dollar Toyota is starting to depreciate so quickly. I can hear the whistle. It's oh. just this. Yeah, that mm-hmm. reminds me. Meant to tell you, I'm looking at my favorite site, Park Place Ltd. up in Seattle, and they uh-huh. have got, ladies and gentlemen, a 2013 Focus ST. For seventeen nine, which means there's seventeen grand. Uh, Wait, a, f- a Focus ST? A Focus ST for huh. seventeen wow. nine. What do you think? I'm everyone? surprised that that car wound up at Park Place, but okay, okay. Yeah. Park Place is that is that place that you keep teasing me with. You will find whenever <laughs> they have a really nice Lotus Elise, and it'll just pop up in my inbox, and I cry a little bit because the the Lotus <laughs> well, Elises they have they're always gorgeous. That relates to a question. I don't actually have the person's name in front of me, but it relates to a question where somebody asked, "With the new Elise coming, do we think the old ones will finally drop in price?" I hope so. Because that's kind of what always happens. When the new model comes out, the old one drops. But I think that it remains to be seen what will happen. But again, those cars have been thirty grand to forty grand for a used one for a decade. Right. So kind of like kind of like the two thousand two. I, I mean, not the two thousand two. The S two thousand. I think they're going to still hang on to their value pretty well. But if they really bring a new one here, yes, it'll turn those prices a bit. You're right. Two thousand six Lotus Elise for forty grand. 31,000 miles, storm titanium with red interior. Huh. Hmm. 40 I mean, grand. Though. Honestly, yeah. I first started debating, could I get into an Elise? I'm not kidding. 10 years ago, 06, 07, I was first looking at it, and all the ones I wanted were 30 to 35 grand. 10 years later, all the ones I want are 30 to 35 grand. I just, I can't even believe it. it they just sit there. I'm wondering if they it's don't amazing. drop because they're such a unique original recipe. You know, the new one will be, I don't know, more, don't know. faster, better, more expensive, all that stuff. But uh, I mean, these will well, become I, rare. I think I think they might do what the S2000 is doing. I mean, the S2000 over the last four or five years has finally started to drop again a bit, yeah. but not fast. It, it's it's still a very slow drop versus a used Miata, which, you know, which used Miata would you like to buy? You know, I mean, those right. are those are just right. genuinely cheap. The NCs are shockingly cheap already, and most of the NCs are newer than the S2000s that are out there. So mm-hmm. there is a, you know, once the enthusiast, we get our hands on them and go, oh, these are great cars, that mystique keeps the price up. And when there's not volume, I mean, look, we all love the, the MX-5s. We do. We love to drive them. They're great enthusiast cars, but there's so many that the price comes down. Whereas yeah. the S2000s and the Lotus Elises, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I interesting i'm just i'm so fascinated by that car and the prices but uh anyway we've got so many questions we've been alluding to we'll jump right in i'm jumping straight to instagram here to rally sport chris his question here is asking he's asking about the new alpine a110 Mm. and why it looks so perfect to his eye and you know what what can we do taking this on you know what can we do to get them over here they're not going to be sold in the states at least that's the thinking now, yeah, but so far. Yeah. unless we rise up and demand really, them. Really, really too bad. <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll ignore us anyway. It's too bad. It really is. So I'm looking at this Renault Alpine <laughs> A110, and the answer is proportion. If you look mm. at it, it's a simple shape. It's not necessarily a new shape, but it, they've 
They made it very alpine with the integrated front fog lights there, the way that's yeah, integrated yeah. right along the front nose there. And look at the body side. Okay, simple proportions, and the body side is one clean theme. Okay? The designers yeah. have deliberately stopped drawing, just like the S2000, just like mm, I, I mm. think the the new ND Miata is a great example of that, although the details are a little bit fussy to my eye. But look at this thing. They've just established a theme, the proportions, and then let the car, it almost, <laughs> almost designs itself. Not really, mm. but if this is what we're doing, we're packaging the two people, the way this engine is laid out here, everything about it, and let's just let's let the proportions sort of drape over this package mm. and mm. you know, look back at the original, look back at that a little bit. But I, I love it too. I'm amazed by this thing. And uh, you know, they're taking some styling cues from the original here, but even the original is just clean, simple proportions. It's about yeah, seeing yeah. out of the car. Yeah, looking at these side by side, it's it's amazing. They're not overdoing the retro thing, and they're not overdoing the homage to the original. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. This is this has got to come here. I mean, it's got to. What do we? I do? wish, but yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It's 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 too bad because it it. I, be very surprised if that changes but but uh, honestly if you're if you're trying to launch that car though if you're looking at who else has done a new sports car and what will be the price point of that in the last 10 years it's well it's alpha with the 4c and they're selling hundreds of them yeah so at that point you yeah. go do we need the u.s market if we're going to try to launch this let's launch it without and i hate that but it's true they've got to consider the business aspect after all they're not a charity organization so Sadly, yes. You know, but but I would happily take a donation of a 110 to drive it and talk to people about it. But anyway, uh, Gabriel wrote to us also on Instagram and said, uh, this is a new one. I'm inter interested in purchasing a Nissan Juke Nismo. And he's curious of our thoughts. I remember being at a uh, – I actually remember originally driving the Nismo in their tiny engine. I think it's a 1.6. I'm going to get that wrong. But I think it's a 1.6 with the stick shift. Not the Nismo, by the way. Just the Juke. Okay. And right. sat in that and drove it hard around the streets of L.A. in, in that car and, was, and found it surprisingly fun to drive. No kidding. I couldn't, couldn't really? get past the looks, wouldn't have bought one. But, and, and, you know, it's very, it's very entry-level Nissan plastic inside, but was kind of shocked when I got out of it and was like, that's a pretty good chassis. And with that five-speed in there or six-speed with the manual, I was like, that's an engaging little vehicle. The Nismo builds on that. I remember, I remember them having one at uh, a uh, high, at the High Plains Raceway in Denver. We were there with a, uh, a press group. They had one being hooned. Every person that got out of that car loved it. Mm. It's just, it's, it's engaging. It's it's a little puppy. That's what it is. It's that little. This shouldn't be this much fun. What's going on? It's not a great anything, but yet it's fun. So yeah, I think if you really yeah. want one, I, I honestly I can't get past the looks, and I can, and, and the interior is really really low rent. So it's not a car I've ever taken seriously personally, but if it's a car you like, I say go. Why not? Hmm. I I can see that. I didn't realize that was so fun to drive. It wouldn't have occurred to me. Surprising, to be surprisingly so for its package. That's the thing about it. I got in this and was like, well, this is not attractive, and this looks weird, and wow, well, this isn't a great interior. And then I drove it and went, okay, all right, pretty <laughs> cool for the price. And then you're like, okay. There's a business yeah, case here. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, but here's the thing. 
uh, oddball styling. And, and I will say, look, I don't. It's total love it or hate it styling. You either think it's great or you think it's atrocious. I've never met anybody that's like, oh, the juke's fine. No, I've never met that person. I don't like it, but plenty of people do. Okay, so fine. I don't like the styling, but the styling mm-hmm. is is what's the what's the word here? It's polarizing. That's what I'm looking for. So polarizing styling, front wheel drive chassis, tiny engine. I was like, what is this? Got in it, drove it, went, huh? Okay, all right, well done, Nissan. So take that as you will. Agreed. All right, sticking with IG here, Ben as Monopoly is asking us, with the Wrangler being so popular, why haven't other manufacturers tried to copy that recipe for success? And in Mm. general with the Wrangler here, Ben, I'm feeling that the long history of the Wrangler going all the way back to I think 41 – Early, early yeah. Wranglers or early uh, Willys Jeeps. This the thing original has, Jeeps, yeah. You know, a long history. It's associated with war. It goes way back. I mean, military connections, the mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. deal. It's been used, you know, countless films. It's just got such a deep history. So yeah. think about this. Think about another car manufacturer. Any of the startups? No. Any of the established players, the German market? Well, no. There's not a business case there either. It seems like FCA is pretty much the only one suited to build something like this. I mean, the only others would be, I think, something for the Brazil market or the Americans doing something. But then Mm. everybody's going to say, well, you're just trying to do the Wrangler, so why don't you just do your own concept? The Wrangler is so basic, but it's so successful, and there's a culture around that. You can't just invent or copy that segment without replicating the culture from the Easter Jeep Safari in Moab to the connections, the history, World War II, all those things. You can't just instantly replicate that. The FJ Cruiser from Toyota, the FJ40, that does have some history. Also, the Land Rover Defender, the Defender 90, Mm -hmm. that has its own history for different reasons. But that's not a really direct competitor and certainly not the new FJ from Toyota. That's not a direct competitor to it either. That's just kind of two-door SUV and all right. The Jeep is something special. If you own a Jeep, it's there's there's this culture to it. And there's a mystique. It's got a mystique about it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's excellent. I mean, I, I think I think you've really nailed it there. I think there is a mystique that you can't manufacture. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a a a reference to try to come back to this. If somebody tomorrow released a sports car with a rear engine, the entire world would go, what are you thinking? But yet (laughs) the 911, because it's grown from that, it's one of the key things about its character that everybody goes, what's a 911? The the Wrangler has that, where if if the interior is not that nice and it's hard plastics and it has a weird ride and it looks kind of bulbous, it's a Jeep. That's what that's why we love it. If somebody else tried to do that, you'd you'd go, why did you do it that way? It has survived with those quirks. It's known for those quirks in the same way a 911 is known for being a rear engine car. And so it'd be really hard for somebody else to invent it from the beginning because it would look like in a weird way they did it wrong. But yet it's the things we like about the Jeep. It's all that mystique and history. That's very very true. Mhm. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Great question. Like I said, mm-hmm. some good critical yeah, thinking cool. going on here. You know, I'm I'm noticing a trend across everybody here. It's great. It's great. 
Uh, Bruce Irvine wrote in on Facebook and asked a, a brain teaser. He said uh, he was getting into his car with his hands full, had to choose between dropping his phone on the road or his milkshake, milkshake into the seat of the car. He chose to drop his phone. He's asking us, <laughs> was that the right choice? Um <laughs> I'm going to say, I love this, Bruce. Thank you. I'm going to say yes, correct choice, because um, the phone is not going to damage your car in quite the way that a spilled milkshake would damage your car. Uh, granted, I hope the phone was in a case so it survived said fall. I'm going to say something slightly controversial, and that is you could have said either of those items on the roof of your car briefly. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, especially if your phone was in a case or the uh, milkshake was in a paper cup that you aren't going to scrape across your roof. You could have set one of those items on the roof. But depending on your actual problem here, I think your choice was correct. Uh, the phone goes so the milkshake can be protected from carnage. There's there's critical thinking behind this. I am agreeing. I If your phone is in a case, hopefully it is or hopefully it was – and it's not too far of a fall because on one hand, you could argue that that's going to cost you the price of a new phone. But my decision tree this is, is always case. in terms of what's going to be less cleanup for me later. Mm, in terms mm, of my point. time, yes. what's going to cost me less time to clean up? If the phone survives the fall, then phone it is. Keep yeah, the milkshake, yeah. but you could have set them down. We're just saying. <laughs> I agree. I kept going. The roof is right there. The roof is it's it's right there. But I hey, I, this is your conundrum, Bruce. I'm glad to back you up. I I, I am. <laughs> Blake Swan asked on Facebook here. Now that Carlos Ghosn has stepped down, do we see Nissan making fun cars again, or will they continue on this mad mission to be the largest volume leader and go like GM did in the '90s? He's mentioning the 2012 Juke-powered Sentra. Uh, what else? He's talking about how old the Z car is, too. Yeah, Z yeah car which is right. Old. It's ancient. It's ancient, yeah. Uh, talking to the Nissan R&D folks, I can't tell you exactly what they're working on, but they have a – they're looking at new methods of manufacturing, and they're putting all their dollars into some pretty crazy ideas for manufacturing. But mm, okay. they've got to. I, I – I hate to say it, but most of the Japanese auto manufacturers, they're making money by not selling us enthusiast cars. That's true. probably oh, across the reason the board, that's true. your car hasn't ever gained a turbo. It's a business yeah. decision that doesn't need to be addressed. Yeah, Everybody's right. happy with right. it. Okay. Well, well, but the thing is, I think somebody has done the numbers and calculated out that a, a, a GT86 platform, an 86 platform with a turbo and five to ten more thousand dollars is not going to suddenly make that car a great seller. It's just not. All the enthusiasts no. say, oh, I'd buy one if. But the problem is enthusiasts don't buy one if. We buy them used because now they're cheap. And I'm saying that because that's what I do too. So, I mean, the the, the GTRs and the GT86 and the 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 Z car, for God's sakes, all of these, these cars don't sell in mass volume. So if you want to make money, you have to make the mass volume cars. And those sadly are not the fun cars. I just wish they didn't all have CVTs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they're synonymous with CVTs now, but they've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I visited their uh, R and D studio in San Diego. Lots of interesting, cool stuff going on there, but yeah, they've got to make money. And mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. this transition age that we're in, everything is on the table. And so they've got to differentiate themselves. 
And I hate to say it, but a low-volume leader that is in a fun, enthusiast sports car, they've got to have the Halo car. They've got to have the GTR. Okay. They've got to have, you know, all their just basic transportation. I'm hoping something in between, but I'll bet you electric takes precedence. So mm, mm, interesting. hard reality to deal with, but we can hope, right? We can hang you know, on to something. I, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's a part of me that that really finds the GTR and the the Z car such oddballs in their lineup now. I'm actually surprised that the GTR. I, if you look at the lineup and the kind of things they're trying to sell, they don't need the GTR. Mm-hmm. The GTR is like this car, this island in their lineup that people are going <laughs> to only because they want a GTR. Otherwise, we're going to Nissan to buy a CVT random car. Okay. But but Henry Hayden on Facebook asked a similar question. He said, why do automakers such as Subaru often choose to exclude performance cars in their commercials? Why are they not advertising the performance side? And it's back to the same discussion, Henry, because that's not the way that they're going to grow. Subaru has had explosive growth in the U.S. in the last few years, and they have had that growth on the back of we make cars that are usable, reliable, and have all-wheel drive to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. putting the BRZ front and center in their commercial is irrelevant to that message because it's not all-wheel drive. It doesn't haul the whole family. And I mean, you see what I'm saying? So, And I would even say Volvo. What is Volvo known for? Well, they're known for safety. And once they made that their brand thing, I mean, I even remember the ancient commercial where they drove one headfirst off of a parking garage. I mean, that was forever ago. You know, <laughs> right. that, that they, right. they just decided this is going to be the thing we hang our brand on is safety. But yet they make the Polestar versions. Right. They, they've right. had hot, hot Volvo touring cars, for God's sakes. But yet you don't hear that. You don't think... Oh, Volvo's made some hot stuff. They have, but they're not talking about it unless you go looking because that doesn't sell the brand to most people who are looking for usable and safe. And Subaru is killing it in that regard. So why talk about the fun stuff? Yeah. Volvo is actually well-positioned where we're going as an industry because now they can tie safety into the new autonomous tech or semi-autonomous driving that they got. Yeah. You know, they can lean back a little bit and relax. You're not fully asleep. You're just you're still involved, but you're enjoying. You're not fully asleep. You're <laughs> well, half asleep. So when the car throws its hands up and goes, what do I do? You have to wake up and then get involved. Perfect. It's and then you will well. spill your make- milkshake at that point. That, yes. that will happen. Your milkshake and your phone will get dropped. Yes. Both of those things will happen in that scenario. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Ryan Kwan asks a bunch of questions on here, but the one that stuck out mm-hmm. to me was the one about Lexus. And the Predator Maw, the Predator Grill that Todd and I talk about, is a response to the car density in East Asian markets and that every aspect, every facet of the car needs to stand out to make it appeal. And he's asking, do we think this is a regional thing and will it catch on in North America as our population density increases? I I definitely think so. And for this reason, Ryan, I think autonomous cars are still going to benefit from – great styling and it's still going to be very necessary as what Mm. our requirements are morph and change but still things are going to have to be art and look good to differentiate themselves i don't think we're Mm. going into a you know 
post-war, optimistic 1959 Cadillac DeVille tail fins era where it was Sadly, stand no. out, Not look at happen. me, you know, just yeah. I yeah, love yeah. the optimism of that, but entirely useless. So this has got to be function and form and all those things merging together that say autonomous but speak a language. Is this going to be something you can drive and still enjoy it as a sporty car? Is it something that's mm, a, mm. an egg finished in gloss piano black and that's it? It just takes you to work? Yeah. Or, you know, what is it? It's it's covered in fingerprints from the last four years of your life because totally. you bought something that is an entire pod in piano black and now you cannot get it clean to save your life. <laughs> it's yes. terrible at crime scenes because the cops will be, you know, like, mm, well, this is easy. We're going to track this guy down in a heartbeat. <laughs> they have the fingerprints from the entire entire city area. Two counties over worth of fingerprints are on your car. One of them is a perpetrator. We're just going to run them all. It's going to be great. The perfect anti-crime vehicle. Just cover it in gloss piano black. That's it. Uh, yeah, so excellent question. I think we're going to see more differentiation. I think it's a little bit far for what Lexus is doing, especially on a car as you know refined as the LS. This is their flagship car. I don't need a you know <laughs> horror yeah. action movie from the future staring out at me in my rearview mirror. Yeah. I just I, I want it to speak. Okay, refined, luxurious, really expensive, beautiful. Okay, increase that. And they're starting to. On this LC500 Coupe, they're starting to. They're starting to really refine it, and it's getting better. Um, but yeah, I, the, the, the thing about that grill that I have to say, it, I, I think the, the grill is a problem in general. I think, I think the tide has turned on the grill because in the late 90s, early 2000s, Audi really pioneered this and said every one of our cars is going to have a signature grill. And then everybody else in the industry followed their lead into what is our signature grill and everybody trying to find it. The problem is the same – and I say this as the non-designer. The same grill doesn't work on every car. Look at the no. Audi grill on the current A3 where it looks like some knight trying to hold the world's largest shield versus on the A8 where it actually looks pretty nice because the car is so much larger. Right. The, that's the problem with the current Lexus grill. I have not liked it. However, it looks great on the LC500. Contrast that with the RX where it looks like an accident. Looks like yeah. the car has already been in a front-end collision when you drive it off the lot in the RX. And yet somehow that grill in the LC, I mean, I understand there's a branding consistency that they want to have, but I don't think every car in the lineup is going to work with the grill. I mean, they've even – Nissan has incorporated their, their weird chrome V that's on all of their cars oh, into yeah. the GTR now. Yeah. I don't think that helped. It made the GTR look more like a Maxima, which was not the way to go. <laughs> so I think – yeah. I I, th I think design wise, and this and I say this again, not as the designer, just as an observer. I think car manufacturers would be better served design wise to not make every car in the lineup adhere to this is our grill. But when you're doing that, you have some that are going to work, LC five hundred, and some that are going to fail, like the RX. Mm -hmm. It's almost like designers start with the grill and then craft the rest of the car and draw from front well, yeah. to back. Because we yeah, got to start you, with the corporate look, mm -hmm. you know. You've you've talked about how much you know restriction or or these are the rules that a designer has to work on at a major car company, and the grill is that restriction right now mm -hmm. across any yeah. lineup out there. And you know, somebody was given the task two years ago of okay, we've gone to this Chrome V on all Nissan products, put it on the GTR, and you know, somebody said it's the GTR, let it be the GTR, and right. that person lost. They right. lost. That person was the intern, and they lost. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Yeah, uh, but great question, Ryan. I mean, that was very well thought through, and uh, it's it's coming. I feel like car manufacturers are going to place increasing importance on design, both interior and exterior, in addition to the experience. Experience is ramping up like you wouldn't believe. Experience design That's the thing. It's really going. Yeah. for yeah, yeah. cars, for the automotive industry. Just the storytelling, the internal storytelling to executives and the market and the placement and the interaction with pedestrians and all that stuff. But it's mm. it's ever more important. It's – you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Maybe you would. But uh, <laughs> yikes. Yikes. Well, here we are almost an hour and 10 in, so we probably should wrap this up. I still had like four more questions, so thank you guys no for kidding. this many questions. It's wonderful, but we are going to have to wrap it up for this podcast. As always, we would love for you to rate and review. Somebody asked, can you rate multiple times? No, I'm pretty sure that iTunes only takes your rating once, but thank you for wanting to do that. Also, they have a tendency to uh, put ratings that people, most people have interacted with. Those stay at the top. They could be really old. If you want a certain rating, you really think it's great, you can even interact with ratings to bring them to the top. This is micromanaging now. Just <laughs> interacting with our podcast, sharing it with friends, giving it a rating and review, that helps keep it in the top 10, and that's how people are finding it. It's still growing. That is entirely due to you guys doing that. We'll keep putting them out two times a week, and we just love that you're with us. Yep, agreed. Thanks a million for your support. Television is hurtling at us and hurtling at oh, you. Yes. We cannot wait to share. We've got uh, a few more, three more episodes to shoot that will be part of season one. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. looking forward to that. But uh, actually, on that front, I ooh. should say this: that we had a question about looking for the show on your local listings. We actually oh, have a right. video coming up where we explain a little bit more right. about how to find the show, what's going to happen. It is starting April first. Keep in mind that most of the time, your TV listings are only listed a couple weeks out. So that means it's not listed yet. In fact, it's not on the Velocity site yet either because Velocity is only listing two weeks. At this point, we're more than two weeks out from April 1st. You're not going to see us, but we are going to be on there. It will be April 1st starting on Velocity and then 13 weeks of Saturday mornings so you can chase that. We have a little more information coming out, a little more detail of all of this that some of you guys have heard because you listen to the podcast, but we're going to have a video on YouTube that is the general update about all of this, but thank you for those questions. Yep, appreciate it so much. Until next time, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.